Hi, I'm Nicole, one of the producers of Monsters Out of the Closet, with a few exciting updates about this podcast. As of December 21st, we have launched an official Patreon to help this project grow. We have some really awesome rewards for patrons that we're excited about, so please check out patreon.com slash closet or our website monstersoutofthecloset.com for more details. Now, on to the show. They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. I'm Nicole. And I'm Sharia. Our theme for December is Endings. For many of us, as the year draws to a close, the days grow shorter and darker, and we often find ourselves thinking about endings in all their complexities, whether part of an eternal cycle or abrupt and surprising. Endings have the power to shock and move us. Our first piece traps us in the blood and viscera of the hunt. Cadmium is a poem written and read by returning contributor Sarah Schaff. Cadmium. Who asked of the men eaten down the big night trap? Where did the black lock first grip you lightless, and against which pluck or pry? I, not the candy light of boy, not the nude cut love brings to the top of our knowing. Sometimes we must choose to believe in simpler appetites, and hold what other hunger, god, wolf, pours its nakedness around the bull which gathers as I let the knife pair, plumb from pit, and when night mounts the stair. My hands play red in the dark of it. Dark, sudden endings can haunt us. The Night They Come Knocking is a piece that showcases how some nights end in ways we don't expect. The piece was written by Liesl Matska and read by producer Shreya Venkatesh. You should see your face! Becca staggered away laughing from where she had been looming over Maya's bed as Maya bolted up, suddenly awake. You look like you saw a ghost. Or my asshole roommate, Maya muttered. What time is it? Seven-ish, Becca said, shrugging. Maya groaned. The universe hated her guts, she had decided long ago. It was the only explanation. She had finally found a friend who did not mind so much when she started talking to thin air or startled at seemingly nothing. Just a part of daily life when you could see the paranormal, and the universe sought fit to make that person a bubbly, naive, mourning person. Is there any coffee? Maya asked, hopeful. Becca shook her head. I was going to go shopping today and get some more, she said, ignoring Maya as she flopped back down onto her pillow. And other things. There may or may not be any actual food in the house right now. Did you want to go out for breakfast? There's that dirty little diner on Ponce with the really crappy coffee you love, and I kind of want to tell you about what happened to me last night. 
I kind of had a bit of an adventure, if I do say so myself. Maya grumbled her agreement and grabbed the first pair of pants she could find, gesturing for Becca to leave so she could get dressed. That was the other thing about Becca, and the reason that somewhere out there, the universe was laughing its ass off. Becca always insisted on telling her stories. If it wasn't about one of her co-workers being stupid, it was some crazy woman on the train, or the awkward barista at Starbucks. Normal, average problems from a normal, average life. Things Maya could never hope to have. It made her want to cover her ears and scream at the top of her lungs at the unfairness sometimes, but secretly she did like the reminder that normalcy existed somewhere out there, even if she couldn't have it. Besides, if she wasn't around to listen to Becca, who knew what nonsense would end up happening? That girl had the self-preservation instinct of milk. In hindsight, Maya probably should have realized that leaving Becca alone for the weekend would end badly. She should have at least expected something like the sight that greeted her when she trudged into the kitchen, getting a good look at Becca for the first time that morning. Becca was clearly dressed up for a party at too damn early o'clock, and that was the least notable part of her appearance. A giant bruise had formed on Becca's cheek, mottled purples and reds. More bruises ran down her arm, interrupted by scabbed-over scratches. She looked pale in the morning light. You have got to be kidding me, Maya whispered, chest feeling heavy. This was not happening. She had been gone for two days. Two days! I didn't feel like changing, Becca said tugging at the hem of her overly sequined top. God damn it, Becca! She reached forward to shake some sense into Becca, only to remember at the last second how pointless that would be now. What the hell happened? It's just some bruises, jeez, said Becca, backing away. I think you're being a little dramatic, but if you have to know, I just got back from the club. You really have no idea, do you? Maya asked. She forced herself to calm down. This was going to be one hell of a conversation. Maybe breakfast isn't a good idea. Becca looked down at her arms. I don't look that bad, do I? Besides, what are we going to eat here? The dishes? She walked through the door, beckoning for Maya to follow her. Come on, I want to tell you about last night. Or don't listen to me. That works too. Maya shook her head, sighing to herself as she opened the door to follow Becca. Nope, definitely not going to be an easy conversation. Maybe it was best just to play along and pretend like everything was normal. So, you went clubbing? What on earth possessed you to do that? You know that place on Welker Street everyone's been talking about? Becca asked. I wanted to see what the hype was about. And... What happened? Maya asked with a groan. Why do you say it like that? Becca frowned, pouting. Everything was fine. Wanna bet? Maya muttered, glad the streets were empty this early in the morning. Awkward stares would just be too much to handle right now. She shivered in the crisp morning air, wishing she had thought to slip on a sweatshirt in her rush out the door. Are you chilly? Becca asked, noticing as Maya shivered again. You wimp. 
It's not even cold outside. She pondered that for a second. Hooray for global warming. Yeah, about that. Look, Becca. Anyways, said Becca loudly, so I've got a story for you about last night. Bet I can guess how it ends, Maya told her. I did not go home with anyone, she said indignantly. Maya put up her hands in surrender. Becca was going to tell her story at a snail's pace anyway. Interrupting would only make it take longer. Kara called yesterday because a bunch of them were going out, and you were still gone, so I figured why the hell not. So we ended up at the club. I'd have never guessed, Maya said dryly. It's almost like you already told me that. I don't suppose we could get to the part where something happened? Maybe I should have changed, Becca said suddenly, pulling at her thin top again. Do you think people are going to look at me funny? Maya sighed. Trust me, no one's even going to notice you. If you say so. So, we were at the club dancing for a little while, just the group of us, and I got tired so I went to take a break and this guy came up to me. Maya let Becca ramble on about the guy and how nice he had been, keeping an ear out for the part where it turned out he was a serial killer looking for his next victim. Even knowing how short life could be, and... Given the number of ghosts she had talked to in her life, she considered herself disturbingly familiar with the concept. She had never realized how fragile Becca actually was, how easy it could be for something to go wrong and lose Becca forever. She was having trouble coming to terms with the idea. They passed by a newspaper vending machine, and something on the front page caught Maya's eye. "'Where are you going?' "'Relax. I'm just getting a newspaper.' Maya knelt in front of the dispenser, digging around in her wallet for some quarters. Becca tried to hover over her shoulder. They still sell newspapers? She huffed, giving up on trying to see through Maya. I thought those were extinct. Why would anyone read a newspaper? The headline looked interesting. Besides, you know me. I like dead things. Maya folded it in half and tucked it under her arm. No, I mean, why bother with the physical newspaper when you could just look the story up online when we get home? Becca asked as they continued down the sidewalk. Maya shrugged. Patience is not my virtue. You were saying? Nothing, Becca said, crossing her arms. Are you mad at me? Maya asked. Becca gave a small hmph and turned away. No, you just walked off in the middle of my story, she said, rolling her eyes. Why on earth would I be mad? I was five feet away. I was still listening, Maya protested. You ditched me for a newspaper. I did not ditch you, Maya told her. They finally reached the diner, and Maya walked straight towards one of the small tables along the back wall where no one would overhear if she was quiet enough. You should buy me breakfast to make it up to me, Becca said, nose still in the air. Sorry, I should what? A few of the people at the other table looked up, and she realized that she had said that perhaps a bit too loud. She gave them her best don't-mind-me smile before attempting to blend in with the wall. Becca laughed and uncrossed her arms, taking a seat. I'm kidding, she said, but would you buy me breakfast anyways? My wallet kind of got stolen last night. I'll pay you back. Um, yeah, sure, Maya said, pinching the bridge of her nose. 
that was going to be a headache and a half to deal with when she got stuck with cleaning up that mess. Which reminds me, I need to remember to call the bank and cancel my credit cards, Becca said. She thought for a moment. Do you think I should call the police? I mean, they probably have better things to do than track down a purse theft. Oh, can I get a garlic bagel with butter? She asked as the waiter walked up to their table. Coffee, please. And some toast, Maya said, keeping an eye out as the waiter walked off before talking again. It's worth a shot. And how exactly did your wallet get stolen last night? Well, it was my whole purse, Becca corrected, and I was getting to that part. Go on. Are you sure you want me to? Becca said with a grin. There might be something fascinating on the menu to distract you. Maya gave her a withering look and then shook her head, resisting the urge to sigh again. I swear to God, Becca, I will start reading this newspaper, so help me. Ouch, someone's grumpy, Becca said. Well, he bought me a drink, or a couple drinks, really, and we just sat and talked for a while about a lot of random shit. I swear, I think we talked for maybe an hour, and then he asked me if I wanted to dance, so we danced for a while. Car and the others actually left before I did. Assholes, Maya muttered under her breath. The waiter gave her a look before setting the coffee and toast down and walked away shaking his head. No, I told them to leave without me, Becca insisted. I was having a good time with James, that was his name by the way, and they were ready to go, so, you know. And it wasn't like they left me completely alone with a stranger, there were other people around. I will kill them, Maya promised, slowly one by one. You're being dramatic again, Becca laughed. So anyways, James and I hung around for a little longer, but then he has to go because he has something to do in the morning and he needs to get some sleep. So he walks me out and get this, he doesn't try to kiss me at all. He just takes my hand in his and says, I had a nice time tonight, like we were on a date or something. Perfect night, right? What happened? Maya asked with a preemptive grimace. I'm walking back to the train. I barely make it two blocks from the club when this guy jumps out from behind a dumpster and grabs my arm. I don't even get a chance to scream. He just grabs it. And before I can even understand what's going on, I'm being yanked backwards so hard I hit the back of my head on the lip of the dumpster. Maya winced. Oh, I'm okay now, Becca assured her. It doesn't even hurt anymore. But I must have blacked out at the time, because the next thing I know, it's early morning and I'm lying in an alley and my purse is gone. I didn't even have money for a cab, I just walked all the way home. So, that was my exciting night. Unbelievable, Maya said. Fucking unbelievable. I know, Becca said. And the worst part? James and I exchanged phone numbers, but my phone was in my purse, so that's gone now. She looked up. They're taking a little long on that bagel, don't you think? Yeah, look, Becca, maybe they're toasting it, Becca said, or burning it. God, I just can't believe I lost everything. My phone, my wallet, keys, Maya muttered to herself. She was going to have to remember to get the locks changed. Yeah. Wait, hang on a second, Becca said. Did you lock the door last night? Yes, Maya told her. I don't think you did, said Becca, because I got in the apartment fine this morning. You really need to be careful, you know. 
There are crazy people out there who could kill you if you're not careful. Odds are, the one night you forget to lock the door is the one night they come knocking. God, this bagel is taking forever. Your bagel isn't coming, Maya said. It was now or never, really. Yeah, I got that, Becca said. No, said Maya, cutting off whatever Becca had been about to say. Your bagel isn't coming, and the door was locked last night. She sighed. Look, there's no easy way to say this. She unfolded the newspaper and turned it around so Becca could read the headline. A woman had been found dead in an alley of Welker Street that morning. The story was continued on page A6. In our next piece, we focus on the lingering impressions left by love, even when the relationship has faded. Seasonal Rains was written and read by Sarah Schaff. Seasonal Rains A laughing stranger from the south passed through here once, when the sky was ripe as berries. She had a way that glittered and bit, eyes cat sly but warm and handwriting that skipped urgently across the page, while in one hand the quivering tail end of a pen leaned in, the way we did when we really started talking. You know how, when speaking goes sprawling, stretching, syllables that fall from the tongue and leap from life to lifetime. This was the sweet bitter currency changing hands on the porch step. That night I dreamt of mute pins and a map bound up by string. Perhaps there was even a moon under the velvet fold that night, and a little wind, and that red shirt skimmed easily across her skin, gone before the sun had risen. And on the table there were flowers nestled together in a pill bottle, young and bright, their petals no larger than the nail on my thumb. I laughed, the plastic cataract white, all but obscured beyond the arc and tangle of life, those dusty reaching heads yellow, small, bunched, and hardy, made for the salt blood earth and the flat glass night. Well, she would have been laughing too. A broken relationship haunts us in December beneath snow, a poetry excerpt written and read by Julian Lopez. December beneath snow. They're all in the tunnels. They're all screaming in the tunnels and I can't help them. Every time I turn around they ask me why I haven't been sleeping. Too long, I say. Too long to turn back now, to see narrow streets rise up around me again, hear the fearful carnage burst through every corner as others look away. I found a mask washed up by the shore, slowly wilting under the cold sun. Thought for a few days, but it was there waiting every morning. Brought it to the forest to nurture back to health, let it sleep in my bed and eat the best I had to offer. Sickness no longer of the flesh, but of the endless loops of spines I find draped across my shoulders. I can't say for sure what began the slow ascent, tearing meat that covers this mask I've tried to hide, the only thing left to satiate carrion birds waking from their hunger. Lonely prey to pick off, when the horde grows every night, bolstered by trimmings left over by the pale beast always willing to starve to fatten their ravenous growths of torn-out throats. 
Only he can hunt them down once the frenzy overtakes my hours in hopeful saunder. And where do the wicker baskets grow at night? I left my wings out to dry when the grime was so heavy I couldn't get an inch off the ground. Scar-faced leaves that flinch every time I see your face, every night storm raging on as the bloody haven settles down around us. Ash flaking off to reveal the soft pink flesh that lies beneath, black and white stained red by the water that bubbles out from cracked roots crawling beneath the floorboards. Every stroke that comes together in the lines of my notebook or passes between the eyes of strangers and spills over onto railroad tracks. Every few days, I run out of words as my memories flip over to show me their white plastic backings, indistinguishable in every way, a guessing game of longing for another perspective that isn't coming. Only the expectation that more will flake off in coming weeks and leave me to remember every step I took to reach the circulating tunnels that crawl through my mind. Tearing up fresh patches of grass, but I can't stop, for my forest doesn't grow. The cabin I sleep at night is cold and fearful, but where else can I go? A crimson nightmare by the shore, slowly draining away unseen? Please forget your vows, but I cannot. Not with your harrowingly soft smile piercing my purest dreams. Of a thought I never told her. Every love you have will end in loss. Circles left unopened, the only certainty holds within it an end to both sides of the mirror, where nothing remains. Not for you. I cannot accept the pain that comes with love, an entire life will be riddled in tragedy. The tragedy of caring too much, or not having cared enough, and no more time to hold their hand and laugh together. The tragedy of having them all leave when the boats finally reach the dock or the blank goodbyes setting sail on that final voyage. Every hurt caused or suffered, turning to the mist that obscures horizons on days everyone waits for. Waiting in fear. Waiting with longing. Waiting with anxious breath. An impossible moment that breaches the countless ways to tell a story without words. The soft skin that will never bruise again and never heal, never blame, and never forgive. Our final piece explores endings, nostalgia, and monstrous memories. Lamia was written by Victoria Black, and it is read by Della Robertson Glenn. After 52 seasons, a handful of B-movies, and a poorly performing spin-off, American Nightmare, the legendary television show affectionately known as the nation's most terrifying soap opera, had aired its final episode. The writer's room had already been cleaned out, as well as the actors' dressing rooms and the director's office. The studio was ready for some newer, flashier show to move in. All but for the extensive prop department. Poor cataloguing and other lapses in record keeping had resulted in 52 seasons worth of props that were their own nightmare in moving out. It was why Emma was still there, late on a Saturday afternoon, sorting through a box of knickknacks and hoping she wouldn't have to stay past five. The auction was only a week away, and while the overtime was nice, she was just about to go insane from organising the thousands of items sitting in the warehouse. 
Emma sealed the box, slapped a label on top and picked it up. As she turned around, humming off-key, she came face to face with a giant woman bending over her and gasped. The woman said nothing, just reached for Emma's face, and it was then that she realised the woman had no eyes. Emma screamed and dropped the box, barely registering the sound of glass breaking within. What's going on? Emma whirled around to find Susan. Good old Susan, who had been the prop master forever and knew how to handle anything. Susan, Emma said. Help! Susan walked past Emma and peered into an alcove behind her. Hello, Lamia. Back to your old tricks, I see. She hauled a seven-foot-tall animatronic woman out from the alcove. The woman had long, matted, dark blonde hair and wore a revealing black dress with a snakeskin wrapped around her waist. In Greek mythology, she devoured children's souls. On the episodes of American Nightmare that Emma had seen, she had a taste for the souls of handsome men. Emma gaped. Was... was it there the whole time? She asked. Well, I don't think she walks on her own. She hasn't been powered on in years. Susan looked up and down at the animatronic, then leaned it against a set of crowded shelves. But I saw someone, Emma said. Is anyone else here? Nope, just us, Susan replied cheerfully. But some people used to say we were haunted. That once the lights were off, the props would move themselves around. That was why we could never find Dracula's cape, apparently, and so now we have a dozen of them for the auction. We only ever had the one Lemia, though. She looked at the animatronic again, and sighed. (sighs) Back then they were real, you know. Emma raised her eyebrows. Uh... What? The monsters on the show, Susan said. They weren't just faceless props back then. They had their own selves, their own stories. They came alive on the screen. All this computer-generated whatever they started using in the last ten years lost everything that made the show special. Take Lemia, for example. She reached up and touched the animatronic's cheek. In the old days, she didn't just devour someone and leave it at that. She loved. She loved so hard, yet she didn't know how to show it. She never learned, and so she was always alone. They had the CGI version, terrorising all those pretty men. But that's not who she is. Susan shook her head. And now they'll just sell her to the highest bidder. Maybe it'll be to someone who appreciates her as much as you do, Emma suggested. Perhaps, Susan said. But do you really believe that? She looked back at Lemia and smiled sadly. At best, they'll put her in a museum and leave her all alone. Watching the old prop master filled Emma with a sudden wave of sadness. Susan had worked in the prop department for almost as long as American Nightmare had been on air. Once the auction was over, 
she would be left with nothing. And Hollywood was not kind to old women, not even the ones who worked off-screen. Susan looked at her watch. It's getting late. Feel free to go. I'll finish this shell for you. Are you sure? Emma said. I can stay a little longer. No, please, Susan said, and gave Emma the same sad smile she had given to Lemia. Emma nodded awkwardly and placed her box back on the floor. She could deal with it tomorrow. After a quick goodbye to Susan, she left. An involuntary shiver ran through her as she walked out into the fading daylight. After two years in that prop department, she still got the creeps when she thought a little too hard about what was in there. Susan knelt next to the animatronic, arranging sets of claws by length on the bottom shelf. The claws were another example of how poor the cataloguing had been in the American Nightmare prop department. They had at least six pairs of four-inch claws, when there had never been any more than two characters in a scene who needed that length. She would know. She had seen every episode of the show, up to the last four seasons, when the producers had decided they needed full CGI for all the monsters. After that, there was no point in watching. The show was more real to her in the prop room than on the screen. So, I guess this is it, Lamia, she muttered. I guess you'll finally see daylight again. You'll be out of here, at least. Maybe you'll see the world. She turned and rose to her feet. Unless no one wants you at the auction, and they throw you away. But that won't happen. You've been the true star of the show all along. She felt a touch on her cheek, so soft that she might have been imagining it, and found that she couldn't breathe. Panic flooded throughout her body, but she couldn't move either. Her lungs felt like they were exhaling without air. The last thing Susan saw was herself in a gilded mirror across the room. Lemia bending over her, with tears in her eyes. Fittingly, we've come to the end of Endings, our third full episode. But though this episode is ending, this podcast is far from it. We're just getting started. Don't miss out on being a part of this growing project through our Patreon. Thank you to Sarah Schaff, Liesl Matska, Julian Lopez, Victoria Black, and Della Robertson-Glenn for their submissions and readings. To find out more about these pieces, our artists, and our readers, visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. We really do welcome new readers and artists in our mission to bring unique LGBTQ plus voices and work to the broader horror genre. You can learn more about submissions and reading participation on our website's submit page. Our next episode, Fate, will be released in January, and we are still accepting submissions for this episode through the 31st of December. And if you have writing that doesn't quite fit that or any of our other themes, send it anyway. 
we'd love to feature standalone stories as special bonus content. Lastly, Shreya and I would like to thank you for listening. To everyone I met at the Seattle PodCon or at Portland's Queer Horror Screenings, thanks for the support and interest. To both our first-time and long-time listeners, keep your messages, comments, ratings, and reviews coming. It really does help the podcast grow. Thanks so much.